0: Welcome back to the Policy Biz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. On this week's episode of the show, I welcome Max Kuhn. Max is the author of the new book, Tidy Models, with Julia Silgi. Now, if you're a listener of the show, you may have listened to that episode with Julia just a few weeks ago. Julia really didn't want to talk about her new book, which is amazing. She wanted to just move on to the next thing that she's working on at our studio, which is great. But I want to talk more about tidy models, so I reached out to Max to see if he would like to talk about the book. So we do talk about the book and we talk about tidy models and we talk about a lot of the other fascinating things that he's working on at at our studio. We also talk about his background in the pharmaceutical area and how he moved into R and into R Studio. There's a lot to learn here. There's a lot of great links in the show notes that I've included if you want to explore some of these different packages and explore Max's GitHub page, where he's got a lot of information, a lot of code, a lot of resources for you. This is a really interesting episode, a really interesting discussion. And if you are an R programmer, uh, this is the episode for you. Now, before I turn you over to that interview, I'm excited to let you know that I have a sponsor for the podcast. That's right. Partner Hero is sponsoring this and several more podcasts coming up. So let me tell you a little bit about them before I let you go on to the next thing, because I think if you are a freelancer, if you're a small business owner, if you're working in the data viz field, Partner Hero might have the right solution for you. Partner Hero is a customer service outsourcing firm. They have flexible terms. They'll help you scale quickly. Um, They have quality assurance programs baked right into the tool and they have offices all around the world which of course is really important now i've used lots of different outsourcing tools and platforms to do some of my work you know maybe i need someone to help me scrape something off the web maybe i need someone to help me write something or clean something up and they're all fine they have some pros and cons some of the user interfaces aren't great this and that the thing that i like most about partner hero is that they are really emphasizing values and they are values aligned and trying to change the outsourcing industry because there is so much work out there where people are being exploited, people are being taken advantage of and Partner Hero is really focusing on that. So if you are a small business owner or if you're a freelancer, uh, generally, if you're just ready to bring in outside customer support help for your startup that feels like it's part of your existing team, I recommend you check out Partner Hero. So head on over to partnerhero.com policyviz to book a free consultation with their solutions team. Mention you heard about Partner Hero from PolicyViz and they'll waive the setup fee. So that's partnerhero.com slash policyviz to check out Partner Hero's outsourcing firm. So with no further ado, let's check out the interview with Max Kuhn from our studio. I hope you'll enjoy the conversation. Hey, Max. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm well, how are you doing? I'm good. You've got a friend behind you. Yeah, that is my new puppy, Kaladin. He's six months old.
1: I've had him for like two weeks and
0: he's like the platonic idea of a good boy. He's, like... <laughs> he's literally Max's best friend. Yeah. So far. Yeah. <laughs> he's just chewing on a, what is that? One of those rubber oh. things with the peanut butter in it. Yep. Yep. Good. Enjoying it. Um, well, thanks for coming on the show you have this new book out that I'm excited about, which I am just checking out now. And there's a lot in there. So I want to get to that. But I wanted to start with your background, because like a lot of folks who come on the show working in data and data visualization, it's not like a direct line to where they are now. And you have an interesting background. So I was curious, if you could just talk about yourself, so folks know a little bit more about you, where you started and how you ended up at our studio.
1: Yeah, so I'm a biostatistician. Um, so I have a PhD in that. I worked for about six years in Baltimore for a company doing uh, molecular diagnostics. That was a lot of like traditional non clinical statistical work, like designing and analyzing experiments and then doing some algorithm work for the instruments. Um, and then I went into uh, drug discovery for about 12 years, again, doing like the early research science y stuff and did a lot of modeling and um, experimentation, things like that. Mm-hmm. Really enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, when I left there, it was like a little bit of push, a little bit of pull. Uh, I honestly, I was not thrilled with working for a huge corporation. Yeah. Maybe goals were maybe not in alignment with mine. Um, <laughs> the scientists I work with and, and the work I did, I loved and and I really, yeah. really enjoyed all that. But, you know, it was kind of like, I think I'd reached my period of like, yeah, I need a new job. Right. Uh, and so there was a little bit of like, Yeah should look for something else. And, but a big part of it was when JJ Lair and Hadley Wickham were like, Hey, we're going to be doing some more stuff with R. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you like to work on modeling software? And I was like, yeah. So I, in, in like the first week or two of um, working in discovery, I had had some ideas on uh, an R package. So it's like 2005. And there, there weren't many, R was a very heterogeneous environment, it still is for modeling. Um, and so I wrote this package called carrot, which was mostly used internally for a year or two, um, for computational biology and chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like something that would unify a lot of the, the disparate interfaces and things like that in R. And, and also had a lot of functions that didn't really exist. Like if you wanted to calculate sensitivity and specificity, it just weren't functions. Right. Um, and you know, with that, and I was working on a, a book on modeling, uh, and that, that was going pretty well. It was like a little pet project that kind of blew up on me. And I was like, yeah. holy smokes, now people are using it. <laughs> and then the company was like, yeah, yeah, I know we uh, like allocated some time for you to do that. But, you know, you're kind of on your own now for doing that. So, mm-hmm. you know, with Carrot, I love it. it. I'm happy so many people have used it and have gotten a lot out of it. But it maybe wasn't designed as time went by very well. Mm-hmm. It was like something I was doing in my spare time. Gotcha. Um, so it didn't really have much potential for, I mean, it's got a lot of stuff in it, but not, it wasn't very extensible. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when they say like, hey, what would you do if you could spend all day writing modeling software? And I was like, well, I'd kind of start over. Um, there's a lot we learned about interfaces to models since then, um, especially with Hadley and all the stuff he's done with the Tinyverse and, right. and things like that. So, yeah, so there was a very enticing offer to be paid full time to write, uh, data analysis software and, and start over and work with a lot of really good people who know a lot of really good stuff and
0: let things right. evolve. But, yeah. So did you go to our studio in 2005? Uh, I think it was 2016. No, oh, 2005 okay.
1: was when okay. I started in drug discovery.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So you've been at our studio now for about, about seven, eight years, something like that. Uh, it's it's uh, like six seven it was like
1: the end of 2016. 16. Okay.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's sure really about. interesting. So, so then so, where does Tidy Models come from in your your origin story, as it were?
1: I, I thought about like different components of what I would want to do next. Mm-hmm. I thought, um, like when we, we it, it happened really weird that I happened to be in New York the same day that they were in New York, and they knew I was in Connecticut. So, like, hey, could you come to New York? And I'm like, what street yeah. you on? <laughs> and so, like, we actually sat down on like a whiteboard and uh, and outlined some stuff. And and I originally had been thinking about what became the Recipes package which mm-hmm. I'm like really particularly proud of recipes is a sort of like a combination of a D plier and R's formula method. And, and what that means if you're not familiar with those is you could very quickly have a very expressive sequential way of uh, pre-processing your data prior to modeling or, or doing feature engineering or feature extraction um, and, and allow you to do things that you couldn't necessarily do with R's, traditional modeling tools. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and that's very, very much influenced by the, you know, pipeable functions and dplyr and things like that. So, you know, we kind of thought about that and that was sort of like the first little bit of it. Um, You know, I'd read R for Data Science and some things that Hattie was doing in there that didn't really persist beyond that, but the way that he stored like resampling information and stuff like that um, eventually became R sample, sort of like a beefed up version of that. And so these little pieces sort of came together um, you know, what do we do about having a better interface to models?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and there were things I definitely learned with Carrot, like, yeah, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> and, you know, it became a little bit more complicated way of doing things behind the scenes. But in the end, I think it's a lot simpler for, um, well, I think at least it's a lot simpler for people to use. So it was just sort of like, yeah, you know, and I, I remember the first time, like right when I started, was like the first Studio conference, Mm-hmm. And somebody asked Hadley on stage, like, what's Max going to be working on? And he okay. said, like, modeling. And they're like, oh, what kind? He's like, all of it. And I, you know, I'm literally sitting, Jenny Brown and I had just met because we kind of started the same place. We're sitting right. next to each other. And I was like, shit. <laughs> uh, pardon me. Uh, how clean this podcast is. But, but you know, it's very open-ended. And, yeah. and thankfully, it still is. And, you know, and they trusted me enough to say, like, all right, well, let's, you know, you know give him a hand when he needs it. Like, we, we usually... You know, talk a lot about interfaces and naming mm-hmm. things. i like, what's a good way of doing things?
0: Yeah. I want to ask, what drew you to R in the first place as opposed to, I, mean, I don't know any of the biostats packages. I'm sure there's a ton of them. But like, what, what drew you to, to R? Uh,
1: well, I'm going to date myself. I was in graduate school in the 90s. <laughs> so basically, your two choices there for statistical analysis was SAS and S+. plus. Right. Um, there was no R. And, right. you know, in SAS was what people were being taught. Uh, it became very clear to me that, you know, you're very limited in what you can do. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason I went into non-clinical statistics was the the nature of that kind of job is you have like hundreds of customers doing many different things that don't have any predefined analysis. Mm -hmm. So somebody comes to you with some new laboratory test that they're working on that produces some really funky type of output. And it's your job to translate that into some numbers. And so, and I always gravitated to problems like that. So I felt having something very like, um, it's going to sound bad. I don't mean it to be bad, but like a superficial sort of programming language like mm-hmm. SAS. It's not very expressive. Mm-hmm. And so, and so in graduate school, I saw S plus I was like, all right, you know, this is nice. Right. Um, and so eventually S plus sort of petered out when yeah. R came online. And so, you know, R for me, I mean, it sounds like a silly thing to say now because we're so, um, uh, used to having actual programming languages to work with, but yeah. in the mid nineties, you know, that wasn't really the case. <laughs> yeah, right. And so, you know, having something where you had scoping and functions and data types and, you know, and, and that was like a, it was like, yeah, I can do anything I want to here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, so, you know, I think in the, in the language wars and data science, I think most of it's based on where you started mm, and it's yeah. not like I've never used Python or anything like that, but yeah. you know, R, I really do believe that R. Clearly biased, but like the S language in R is really based for people whose fundamental thinking process is about interactive data analysis.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So it's built yeah. from literally from the ground up with that in mind. Yeah. Um, which is not a, a knock against any other programming language. But if you're asking me like what I feel makes it click with me, it's like, oh, you know, there's some things that could look really kludgy to outside people, but they're really nice in, in terms of the context of what you're doing in R. Yeah. So contextually you can call it like a DSL or you know, domain specific language or th- something like that. But, um, but I like it for what it, it does. I wouldn't yeah. use it to like do my taxes, but no, no, know, no right? For, for
0: data analysis, it's right. fantastic. Yeah. For the tool. Yeah. And I guess I don't know enough about the history of R to be perfectly honest, but the movement from base R into using a GUI like Studio i don't even know what my question is here i guess but like how did that maybe maybe the question is how did that change your maybe your workflow or the way or maybe it didn't or or how you think about using the tool when it has more of this space that's a little bit well i, I don't know that's probably true right just use more user friendly
1: so i think there's like two aspects of that that are worth talking about and first is syntax
0: mm-hmm. and um
1: you know people are still arguing about this um, you know, being like an S person, you know, back in the day when I first started using it, I remember sitting in my office, and this is in Richmond, Virginia, in the basement of the the medical building, and saying like, <laughs> "Where's the where's the damn inverse function? I just need to invert this matrix, right? <laughs> right. It's solve it's you know, it's a solve function without adding the extra argument. Yeah, you know, and I'm like, what the hell? Or like the sort function? I want to sort mm-hmm. a data frame, and and no, you can't really do that. You have to yeah. use Subscripting with the order function, and so it's really efficient and does some good things. I mean, it does a lot of good things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not really written in terms of like, like you know, I could figure that out. You know, I have a PhD in statistics and done all this stuff. And but you know, if you're, you know, I've worked with like a lot of bench scientists and I've worked with a lot of people who's don't have any training in data analysis or statistics or computer science. Right. And and I think the things like the tidyverse are born out of that. Like there's some just low hanging fruit about let's name things better. Let's give them arguments that, you know, and then you consider like the pipe, you know, the Magruder pipe or the now the, the base R pipe. Yeah. And start designing code for that. You know, people are still arguing about this, but I feel like for the average user, it's far and away better to be using, you know, the, assuming you're inside the scope of what, let's say the tidyverse yeah. or associate things do. It's, it's a much nicer place to live. Yeah. Um, So on the syntax side, I think that's a good answer. I think the sort of, uh, you know, Tidyverse gets a lot of press, but I think the thing for me as a developer, and this translates to the average user too, is the tool sets are so good. They're Mm -hmm. so good. Like the RStudio editor, like the IDE, the tooling around almost everything is, it it just can't be better. And so the thing I've learned over the years is you know, it's not that you need really, really good tools to be great at something, but man, does it make your life so much better? Like, I can't imagine doing pack management without the tools that the people inside of our studio build.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, Think about users, like in terms of like importing data, um, the, the tools are largely, I think a lot of the tools I'm talking about are really born out of our studio. Here's a great example is Jenny Bryan has spent a lot of time working on spreadsheets, you know, she's this brilliant person. And and I think she recognizes like, yeah, all that fancy statistics is great. But if people can't get their data in, like, why are you yeah, doing it? right, right. And I remember talking to her about spreadsheets. And she and I had this sort of shared miserable experience of having people. So in, in biology, most genes can, there's different ways to reference genes. But for humans, there's this thing called the Hugo ID, which is usually a couple of letters. Mm-hmm. Like interleukin 18 is IL18. Mm-hmm. And, and I had this experience where people like external collaborators would give uh, data in an Excel file. And then we tried to read it and, you know, we would eventually convert to CSV for the sessions we had. Yeah. And then, and then eventually it goes back into Excel or, you know, have these back and forths. Right. And it might take a Hugo, Hugo ID like SEP 12 and think, oh, that's September
0: 12th. Oh yeah, sure.
1: And so it converts that cell to a date. And then when you save it as a CSV file, it converts that as an integer from some reference date. Right. And so, like, you know, you're looking at this spreadsheet that's got maybe like 20,000 things in it. And you're like, why is this long number there? And then <laughs> right. a day or two later, of you figuring this out, you're like, holy shit, that was a. That was a, that that was a date. Right. You know, having <laughs> things that don't do that. I mean, yeah. it sounds silly, but like, that's what I mean is like, you end up fighting the process so yeah. much if you don't have good tooling. Yeah. And, and, and our Markdown, Shiny, and mm-hmm. now Porto, is just, it's so fundamentally. Like I'm kind of jealous of people now, is they don't have to, they don't have to live with the, yeah, the shared game that. that you know we had before. Like, yeah. you know, and the thing about GitHub, you know, I was using CVS and uh, and really old version, you know, um you know, version control,
0: and, yeah. and wow, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I don't want to say like old man, but like, no, I know. But some of those, really even some of those, like, yeah. some of those, like, uh, um, those one that the version control software that you'd have to purchase were just like, they were just not very good yeah, um, and just hard to use. Yeah. Um, and then the,
1: the notion of needing it for data analysis. Um,
0: yeah.
1: A scientist or a statistician and I were meeting with some other statisticians and we were talking to them about using version control. Like, oh, we don't need that. And, and the person I was with, his name is Jim Rogers, said, and he said it in not a condescending way, but he basically said, you do, you just don't know yet. You just, <laughs> yeah, haven't, right,
0: right. You just
1: haven't lost something that you yeah. wish you had. Yeah, and then when you right. do, you know, remember, I'm like three doors down and I'll talk to you, I'll you know, evangelize <laughs> the, right. the gospel of aversion control. Right,
0: right. Uh, anyway. um, okay. So you have so let's let's pivot a bit. So you have a new book out with Julia Silgi, who was on the show a few months ago. Um, so it's, a I sort of noted as like a review of the code syntax behind tidy models, but it's not really a review. It's more of like a step-by-step, um, but it also is kind of a primer on regressions and modeling. And so I'm curious, like, let's start with, so it seems like there's these two pieces. And so did you set out to have these two pieces, like not just going to give you a step-by-step in this particular coding language, um, which is kind of what like Hadley's R for data science book does. Um, but yours is more of like, I think you could sort of think about it as like an intro stats textbook with doing it in R. Like, was that the, was that the idea?
1: Uh, I don't know that we thought it out like that. I think I that think the, the problem we have, assuming it's a problem, is that when we want to teach any of this, whether it's in a workshop or in a book or whatever, yeah, it's very hard to be like, and here's how you do resampling. And people are like, well, what's resampling? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You, you have to front load all this information about like what's a training set what's a test set and we don't we're usually writing for people who are not experts at this Mm -hmm. again like you know we're not writing for ourselves we're writing for people who work at a bank and their boss is like hey i read this thing go do a linear regression." like what's that right and so like so you know people just don't know and so A lot of times we want to talk about the syntax of what we're, we're, we're doing, even if it's something that's not particularly fancy. We do have to sort of talk about the nomenclature and, and the nomenclature leads a little bit into like, well, why would I do that? Like, why mm-hmm. would I save some data as a test set? Yeah. Um, and so it's really I don't think we'd ever be successful in teaching anything if we were like, and here's how you do a random forest without right. telling you what a random forest To some extent, telling right. you what a random forest is. So I do not I don't think there's any other way to do it. Um, I mean, unless you're looking at like a pure, like statistics or machine learning type of book where there's mm-hmm. no syntax or application, I think yeah. you you kind of have to do them hand in hand or otherwise it doesn't really benefit anybody. And, and the problem with me sometimes is like just stopping myself from going on. And, you know, <laughs> right. You, you know, what's the minimum amount that makes sense? Yeah. And there's plenty of things I would like for them to know, but hey, this is a book on modeling software. So let's right. not worry about, right. you know, stuff like that. Other things
0: well also the thing that's interesting is I think about like your book compared with like um, Hadley's book um Hadley's book starts with data visualization right and, and I don't know why he did that my guess is that because with data visualization when you start with ggplot you get something right you can see your success right away right? You don't have to, you know, cleaning is kind of boring, you know, it's not like, and you get this success right away. And so, I mean, how did you and Julia sort of think about, did you think about that? You're like, just someone who's going to read this book is someone who's going to be interested in modeling and learning this. And, you know, we have to sort of think about that much as that much of a setup.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like if, um, if they were reading that book, they have a reason, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're like, all right, I've heard of this, or maybe I haven't heard of it, but or I haven't used it, but like I know it of its existence. What does it do? Yeah, um, we don't really. A lot of times in training materials and some books, we do this like what's called the whole game, where we give them a little introductory chapter that's like not very in depth, but it gives them a roadmap of like, hey, here's an analysis and what's happened, mm-hmm. and then we'll go through this in detail later. We didn't really do that with this book. We kind of approached it from the standpoint of the first parts of being like about our philosophy. Mm -hmm. Like, why would I care about this? Like what, you know, sell me on why this is important or I should spend time with this. And then we went a little bit into like, well, why aren't you using base R? And then from there, it kind of proceeds uh, in terms of like how you would do your analysis. Mm -hmm. So we talk about like, you know, a little bit about exploratory data analysis. We talk about data splitting because those are the first things you do. Mm -hmm. And then talk about like your first model and then you know, eventually, you know, worm your way through to measuring performance and tuning models, and then there's a bunch of just assorted interesting stuff at the end. So, if anything, it emulates sort of the the process that you would analyze your data, yeah, in which you would analyze your data. So, right. um, yeah, and and it's mostly like like a book where we want to like give them like an early win or something like that is more a book where we want to we want to sell people on using it. Yeah. like using that method in general like you know for hadley's book it might be somebody who's coming out of excel and they're like you know to give them something like that like you said is like you get them kind of hooked in shani does the right. same thing
0: to the yeah
1: and um and with us we sort of had the premise that all right well you're you're picking up this book for a reason mm-hmm. uh you're going to do some modeling maybe you've heard of the Teddyverse and
0: teddy models so yeah now you're
1: in what do you do that's
0: yeah of... so the case you gave is you know the bank analyst is asked by his boss or boss to do something. I'm curious what you think about this is going totally different direction. But I'm curious what you think about making modeling too easy for people, right? That, you know, this has come up so much.
1: Oh, I have thought about this so much. Um, Recently, it's been a point of discussion. I mean, so Uh, This is like heresy to say, and people are going to be like, all right, delete now. But like, (laughs) I'm really, really not a believer in like any automated machine learning. Mm -hmm. I feel like that is like a recipe for disaster. It's not like Skynet, like taking over, but but, you know, where things go wrong is, and that's been like my mantra my entire career is like, what's the worst that can happen? Mm -hmm. And, And so, you know, most of the machine learning that I've done is like assistive. Like, you know, I don't need to tell a chemist, it's obvious this compound is the one you should synthesize to cure cancer, right? Mm-hmm. But giving them, I hate to use the word insights, but giving them prototypes like, hey, based on the data we have, here's like a de novo, de novo structure we think you might look at. And with the understanding that it might prompt them to say like, oh, I never thought about designing it that way. Or, or, you know, or they might take a structure that they have and say, well, how would this work if we made it? We haven't made it yet, but I'll give you the right. formula. You tell me how active it's going to be. And so that's sort of where I see um, the the bulk of the utility in, like, machine learning and modeling and things like that. If we're talking about predictive models as opposed to, like, making inferences and drawing
0: conclusions. Right, right.
1: So, you know, that's that's sort of where I live. Um, I You know, AutoML is something, depending on how you define that, that I think is really interesting and helpful because I, I think it if, as long as it instructs you where you learn something out of it. So the, to me, it's really scary to be like, oh, I just gave it my CSV file and I have this published model without knowing yeah. anything. With right. Uh, so, you know, I, I feel like um, yeah, I, I feel like we don't want to do that. In, in, mm-hmm. in some sense, we we have, I want to say put constraints on that in Tuddy Models. We've enabled you to do a whole lot of stuff. In fact, a couple of other podcasts have talked about some of these tools that we've developed and yeah. like, oh no. But, you know, just saying that like, you know, I had a lot of trepidation in making them but on the other hand, like when I was doing modeling for a living, I would have wanted those tools. Right. So, so we certainly don't have anything where you just blindly get um, results mm-hmm. without any oversight. Um, yeah. And also we put in a lot of guardrails to really prevent people from, there's a lot of pitfalls in machine learning. It's really, and I've done this, it's really easy to get a model you think has really high accuracy. And then six months later, you get new samples. You're like, why am I missing them all?
0: Yeah. And it's because yeah.
1: you made a methodology error and didn't realize it. And so we, we know where the most of those things are and we've designed the software and the syntax to really, you'd have to go out of your way to do it poorly and not realize it. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, those are all things that, um, you know, that come to mind when people ask me that question. Um, you know, our friend David Robinson was talking about this in a blog post about Teddy models, and, you know, and his point was, yeah, don't let people fool you with that. You should be concentrating on your problem. You should mm-hmm. not be concentrating on is my software doing the wrong thing? Am I unassumingly like making some big error? You should use yeah. tools that you can feel safe with and give you results. And he definitely felt like, you know, that was something that Tiny Models does. And and I and I agree with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't want to get bogged down in, you know, am I resampling the right way or, or am I doing it properly? Did I use the training set in the right way or the test right. set? And, and again, like when I was talking about like tooling earlier, that it goes into that, that like, if mm-hmm. your job is modeling and you have good tools, and I, I think we're making those, um, then you get to be so much, much more productive because you're not bogged down in the, you know, the errors or like, oh, but did I do that right? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I feel like that's probably the best answer is, you know, I, I'll admit, like I was talking to somebody who I, I knew pretty well, and i was at their institution and we were talking and he was using carrot at the time and he said you know i try like a dozen models in carrot and i don't really know what a lot of them do or how they work but yeah. i get one that, that seems like it's doing really well and then i go read the paper mm. you know and be like all right so what exactly is it doing how can i figure that out and yeah. to me that made me feel the, the first part of the conversation i was like
0: okay and then the second <laughs> part i was like
1: yeah, okay that's yeah I'm that's happy. right yeah
0: yeah <laughs> um,
1: so, yeah, you know, we want to facilitate. We especially want to facilitate people doing things that they couldn't do before, whether there wasn't an R package to do it or, and this happens to some extent, there's something that you want to use in R, but you end up slamming your keyboard on the, on the table because it's so awful to use. And, and so we want to like smooth all that out. We want to just make those things either re- rewrite them or make them easier to use and more consistent and work well and allow you to do things that you really would have had trouble doing before, That it adds a lot of power to what you're doing. But again, you can do it in a way that you hopefully can feel safe in, in your application of these things.
0: Yeah, it's like building some roadblock, but not a wall, right? It's like a speed bump, right? You want people to slow down, but you don't want them to be able to get to the end of the street.
1: Yeah, maybe the analogy I'd be like is going off road. Okay. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. I, can, I honestly, I can go straight to my grocery store from my house, go through a lot of people's lawns and get there much faster, um, <laughs> you know, but the idea is like, you know, it, but I have to do a lot of work to get there. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: So, like, here's another example from Carrot. Um, like early on, somebody, somebody and God bless them for doing this, but they emailed me and said, oh, I, I wrote this blog post about Carrot and how it helped me win this cattle competition. I just want to say thanks. I was like, oh, that's really nice. Yeah. I, I got around to reading it. And it was like. Well, I mean, they weren't wrong, but they basically used (laughs) Kara to try to map their training set to the test set and make them similar as possible to maximize their accuracy. I'm like, okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you did it. Yeah. You know, we just want to make sure we don't put roadblocks up anywhere. But, like, to do that, you would have to really, like, you'd have to do some interesting things with tiny models to be able to, like, finagle that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it would be so like unnatural for you to do. It's like, why am I doing this?
0: Sort of yeah, thing. yeah. I mean, I mean, it's interesting because there there are lots of like design tools now, like Canva and Figma and these other tools that are sort of democratizing design. And I'm sure there's lots of graphic designers out there who hate those tools because you're putting these fairly powerful design tools in the hands of people who don't know design. And I guess there's an a, equivalence with statistical packages where you're giving power to people who, like you said, they're running regressions, but they don't really know what they're doing or they don't know how to interpret it or they're, you know, mucking with the data in ways that maybe they shouldn't.
1: And that is the modern history of statistics.
0: So <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. Like yeah.
1: when I was, when I was in my twenties, I was reading papers about the democratization of statistics Yeah, and people having Minitab or SPSS or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think, as a profession statisticians have had to come to terms with the idea that you can't be data cop. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it's, it, it's not that it's in, you know, I think there's a, a history of, in statistics of being sort of like you know, the analogy I use is like, like, you know, a, a, like a PhD in statistics is like some wizard that lives in a cave and, you know, people are scared. They don't know how to kill the dragon. So they yeah. go and they like, you know, genuflect in front of the wizard and the wizard like, Oh, I'll teach you the incantations to do this. <laughs> complicated yeah. thing and solve your problems and you know the wizard's not out there helping them grow wheat, right yeah it's like, right and so and i feel like statistics over the years has suffered because of this sort of inherent um i mean this is a generalization but i think it yeah. jobs with a lot of the statisticians i've worked with is like yes i'll come and bless what you're doing and if you didn't do it right i won't scold you but i'll look disapprovingly
0: yeah, yeah and
1: and so you know i feel like data science um are as much as it was, you know, talked negatively about um, the whole Six Sigma thing. My experience with it in the corporation I worked with was actually very positive because there was a statistician almost every project.
0: Yeah. And so, right.
1: you know, we got in the mud a little bit and like, oh, that's these are the problems that they're, they're facing, not like, should I use a T-test or a Wilcoxon test? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, you know, the the environment we've had to accept the idea that we are not. Um, in fact, we've been marginalized to some degree um because there's so many tools and and honestly Mm -hmm. i think that on the computer science side in some ways are a lot better at promoting and talking about things and there's so many many more of them that i feel like i've been in places where it's like well yeah you're doing a bunch of statistics why aren't you in the statistics group they're like well like (laughs) we're not because like that's how we got 20 people instead of five people because we're not so it's really been a detriment the cycle repeats itself like every 10 years it happened with in the 80s with Teguchi methods and in uh spectrometry like partial least squares and then mm-hmm. happening in machine learning with boosting where you know we're get a little bit as a i feel like as a population we get a little bit complacent we see things from outside our community being published that have really good ideas but maybe aren't really statistically all that rigorous mm-hmm. and then you know it's more like once you have ideas we can refine them right and i feel like we're on the road to being more integrated and more hands-on and more just generally proactive than we were before, because we don't mm-hmm. have much choice. And in, in right. a way that's a good thing.
0: Yeah. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask you, especially for folks who are listening to this, who are maybe less interested in the modeling side and more interested on in the data viz side. Can you talk a little bit about the link between tidy models and I guess ggplot would be the way most people would go?
1: So I, I say this, I say this quote all the time. If you've heard me speak before, you've most likely heard it, but uh, a professor I had said, like, you know, the only way to be comfortable with your data is to never look at it. And and so before doing any modeling, you know, we we, we promote, you know, our workshops and things like that. Hey, let's take 10 minutes, and whether it's base R or just summary statistics or ggplot, look at your data. What do you notice about this? That mm-hmm. really informs the models. Um, so, you know, there's usually this big feedback loop of like you build a model, it works okay, you can figure out where it doesn't work, and then you have to do a bunch of like exploratory analysis to figure out why not those, right? Mm-hmm. Why don't samples doing poorly? Um, also, uh, recipes in particular have some nice tools where you can do, especially for like high dimensional data, you can do very helpful and informative feature reductions. Like, you know, there's always principal component analysis. But there's a whole host of things like that, some of which are nonlinear, some of which are supervised, that will really help you understand your data a lot better. Um, back when I was doing computational biology, you know, the minimum number of outcomes I had in my experiments were about seven thousand, you know, <laughs> wow. ranging up to about you yeah. know like a million, right? Yeah. And so now you have all these dimensions, and it's a very dense data set. Yeah. And how do I know if you know? But you've got like 30 samples. You know, Mm -hmm. how do I know if any one of those samples is problematic? And so, using these particular techniques, it gets you very far very quickly to figure out, like, oh, um, yeah, this one, this one's all goofed up because you know they they ran it on a week or two after the others, or you know whatever the example might be. So, yeah, yeah. there's like if you do anything analytical, like in terms of analysis, um, you know, it's it's kind of a recipe for disaster if you if you're not looking at your data. Gg plot facilitates that um to look at your data and then what you learn can then facilitate going backwards like you might mm-hmm. in some data analysis figure out two of these model terms are really interacting with each other and that's maybe the ggplot that you show to your boss's boss that says like oh look we could exploit this interaction and make more money or yeah. do a better widget or whatever it is that you're doing yeah um, you really can't divorce data analysis and um and visualization uh they really are tied together
0: yeah um okay so terrific thanks so much uh so tidy models people can buy the actual physical book but there's also an open source version that they can check out um and i'll put the link to that um and there's code snippets in there too right so they could they shouldn't but they could just copy and paste and get things to run
1: absolutely and the whole book is there like all the all the source files that if you wanted to compile the book and print it on your printer, like, I mean, have fun with that, but um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's all out there for you. Yeah. And there's also um, tidymodels.org is a nice website we put together. Yeah, It has a lot of tutorials and a lot of really good resources. So if you like long form, check out the book. If you want more short form, almost like blog post length, yeah. information that's a
0: better that's situation. way to go all right well i'll put links to that and everything we talked about i've got a whole i'll have like the history of statistical packages on this on the on the show notes for today so um terrific max thanks so much for coming on the show this is great thank you thank you for inviting me and thanks for everyone for tuning into this week's episode of the show. I hope you liked that discussion with Max Kuhn. I hope you'll check out all the links I put on the show notes page, all the links to his books, his GitHub page, his RStudio page, all of the great stuff that you could learn about the Tidyverse, Tidy models, and all the other stuff that he is working on. So until next time, this has been the Policy Viz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. A whole team helps bring you the Policy Viz Podcast. Intro and outro music is provided by the NRIs, a band based here in Northern Virginia. Audio editing is provided by Ken Skaggs. Design and promotion is created with assistance from Sharon Satsuki Ramirez. And each episode is transcribed by Jenny Transcription Services. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The policy of this podcast is ad-free and supported by listeners. But if you would like to help support the show financially, please visit our Winnow app, PayPal page, or Patreon page, all linked and available at PolicyViz.com.